from planet Earth, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two maniacs who finally really did it. They blew it up. Ah, damn you. God damn you all to hell. Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I always love a good Planet of the Apes reference. Uh, Corey, who was that? Ger Crowley monkeyed around with that one. That was cute. That, but I... Yes, his name is Ger. Or Jer. Or something. Or Reg, and he's dyslexic. You like how I try to have a conversation with Corey, even though... Oh, you gave it away. <laughs> You're so good at that. You're so expert. Oh. I like how you did that. All right, uh, wait. Tell everybody how tired you are. I'm so tired. Honestly, three. We fed thirty-nine people in two days and three meals, and I'm just uh, I'm beat. Food coma, family hangover, too much food, too many people, but good times. I like the idea that you admit you have weight to lose. <laughs> I, I, I've waited so many years for you to say that somebody is yeah. somebody is uh, as as svelte as you yeah. are. No, I gotta, I gotta Has start. Has to lose. I gotta work out. I gotta work out like mad when the year comes in. I gotta run stairmaster and do it all up. I'm just gonna be a little lethargic for the show today, but that's okay. I'll, I'll game up some enthusiasm when we get to the really good titles. But um, we got a couple of. <laughs> well, then okay. So then let's start with titles where you'll be completely unenthusiastic. Let's start um, with that. Well, let's. As long as you were cooking ice cream, can you really cook ice cream? I guess you. Well, you have to put it in a saucepan. All right. Over Fine. a flame. You were cooking ice cream then. B- yeah. Before I came over. Well, because for New Year's Eve, I'm being asked to bring two different types of ice cream to the New I Year's see. Eve potluck. So I figure I'll start now. Okay. And then uh, Got you know, it. less work to do yeah. on December okay. 30th or 31st. Very good. Well, as long as we're talking about ice cream, we got a DVD here, a uh, Blu-ray DVD and digital copy combo that came with its own ice cream. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, it's a chef's thing, or it's an ice cream DVD. No, it's not, actually. It's a horror film. Uh, it's Apollo 18, one of the more noteworthy non-events from uh, this uh, couple of months ago. This is about three months ago that this thing came out. Oh, I forget. Anyway, anyway Anchor Bay uh, released this, and uh, it's, you know, uh, kind of a... When I saw the trailer for this film... I you thought, thought it was a wannabe low-budget alien or something? I thought something? it might be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I thought really. it might be cool. And then, it, and then the actual movie itself did not live up to my inflated expectation of it. Yeah. But it, well, did come, it, it, it does come with... Um, the, the, here's, the, here's, the, yes. here's the gimmick here. Anyone who knows about the Apollo missions knows there never was an Apollo 18. Apollo 17 was the last one that went up in 1972, but this is like about a secret extra Apollo mission that went up in 1974 and uh, this is the actual uh, Blair Witch Project footage of what happened. I, you know, interesting idea, but it's like with Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch and everything that came in between, it's too. It's like too late. I feel like this had been, if this had been, I don't know, ten, twelve, thirteen years ago, maybe. But now it just it, and it's kind of lame. Um, it really doesn't take full advantage of the Blu-ray either. I found that sort of disappointing. Um, but good sound, really, really uh, very nicely mixed. And uh, they sent it to us with, with ice cream. Mark, tell them about the ice cream. Freeze-dried ice cream. They sent us a package <laughs> with freeze-dried ice cream. It's like the astronauts would eat. Well, no, it says uh, how is astronaut ice cream freeze-dried? Awesome. Freeze-drying. Removes water from the ice cream by lowering the air pressure to a point where ice shifts from a Brilliant. solid to a gas. There you go. What a way to sell a DVD or, or a Blu-ray in this case. Uh, include some swag that's astronaut food. Is there anything less appetizing than astronaut food? Remember when they used to they used to hawk tang that way? Mmm, what the astronauts drink. You know what? Oh, good. What we, should we open this up and eat it? Yeah, why not? Enjoy your ice cream just <laughs> as the astronauts do. The freeze-dried way. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. Are you, are you are you supposed to add anything, or do you just? No. It, there's a little. Uh, it, it comes in a in a aluminum, like a tin foily package, and, and you when open it, it up. It turns into ice cream. Well, it's freeze dried. So what so makes you open an ice it up, cream? and this is well, it's it's ice cream in only the in only the vaguest sense of the word. 
It's freeze dry. It's ice cream. At one point, it was ice cream. It's like powder. And at some point, the water was the water was removed from it. And Which it was, means there's no more ice and in it. It was frozen. Which means it's like frozen, dehydrated cream. Right. And then, okay, so you open up the aluminum foil packet, and there, there's a, a paper packet. That's disgusting. It looks like that. It's gross. It's Why would I eat that? Little uh, little brown cubes for chocolate, I assume, and white cubes for vanilla. That's not and, ice uh, cream. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of pink cubes for strawberry. Well, speaking of swag, Mark's now eating freeze-dried ice cream. You know what this tastes like? What does it taste like? Um, ooh, bad aftertaste. <laughs> but the... Um, the um, it tastes like 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 um, honeycomb. Not Honey- the cereal, but you know when you go to like a like a chocolate store, like a fudge yeah, store, yeah, and you buy a honeycomb, yeah, and it's, and it's it just try it. Nasty. it. Oh God, you're gonna make me eat this on the show. Mm. How is this ice cream in any way whatsoever? Look, the astronaut. Is, there, stra- is there strawberry in here? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll have a little piece of strawberry. It's in. not bad. Really? Wait, they're astronauts. I mean, anything that reminds them of home. They're going to eat it up. It's like chalk. No, it's like it tastes flavored like, chalk. It tastes like honeycomb. No, no, it tastes like honeycomb. Whatever. I, I will eat it. Okay. We'll eat this whole thing. Yeah, go ahead. Enjoy it. Gross. It's nasty. No, it's not. This it's isn't good. ice cream. Yuck. Not stuck in my teeth. Disgusting. Uh, we also got a, a new Bloody Disgusting Selects movie called Chop. And, uh, you know, the whole Bloody Disgusting series, which comes to us from Vivendi, it's all the same kind of stuff. It's just. Um, Shock horror and uh, all gore films, mostly campy. And uh, you know, you got a you got a movie called Chop. <laughs> you, gotta, you know what you're in for. Um, anyway, it's it's just silly. The the plot is pointless here. Um, the uh, it, it, let's just put it this way: there's a a, a lot of um, a lot of dismembering, <laughs> and it's. It's actually kind of funny. It almost feels more like a Sam Raimi film than anything else. But the thing that we're getting to here is that they included, <laughs> when they sent this out, Mark, for the holiday season, how did we receive this? Descri- <laughs> Describe this. Wait, I, I'm eating astral ice cream. <laughs> Describe exactly what, what we received. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to put this. By the way, astronaut ice cream? Okay, I'll describe it. I, I'm on board. I liked it. It was good. good. It, they, it doesn't taste like ice cream. It tastes like honeycomb. The, the DVD for Chop uh, includes a nice little uh, silver ribbon on it, like it's a gift, and then tucked underneath that is this plastic finger that has you know blood, pl- and, blood and bone sticking out. Yeah, it's a plastic severed <laughs> finger. It was chopped off. I mean, it's it's great promotional swag, but it'd be nice if this finger you know made a noise or something. You know, now, if that I was know- <laughs> if that was a freeze dried astronaut severed finger, then. You know what I'm going to do with this? My, my in-laws have a couple of puppies. That just I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to take this over. Let the puppies play with it and see if my mother-in-law freaks out. That'll be fun. That was uh, good. Good times. Good, good, good post-Christmas uh, fun times there. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Put a severed plastic limb of some kind into a puppy's mouth, and you're sure to have fun. So basically the swag was better than the actual movie. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's get to some real stuff here. We got a couple of uh, we, we we have our our lists of uh, favorite Blu-rays and DVDs of the last year. Mine is all Blu-rays because I want everybody to get on board with Blu-ray. And I didn't see any DVDs that, that floored me such that I could uh, displace any of the Blu-rays on my list because all my favorite stuff they were all Blu-rays. Um, we got that. We got some listener mail and uh, heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff. You know what, Mark? Yes, ma'am. While you're uh, uh, tweaking your list. My list is done. Your list is done. Well, I, uh, you had some you had some order issue. Well, you're not going to do it in an order. No, are you? I'm doing an alphabetical order. Okay, that's fine. Wait, hang on, I'm, yeah. I'm doing mine group differently. Got it. But uh, I'll, I'll let you sort that out. I'm just going to go through some music stuff that we had um, we had missed last week. But uh, some really good music uh, titles out here. This is a uh, Michael Feinstein, the Sinatra Legacy on Blu-ray. If you like Feinstein, a lot of people don't. They think he's just a little bit too into himself. But he's a great singer, great, uh, great musician. And um, here he's got a 32-piece orchestra backing him up. And uh, it's terrific. This is really good stuff. So um, here's what you get. Gosh, that stuff is just nasty. The aftertaste really? is foul, I'm I telling you. It. No, it's nasty. Ew, gross. Anyway. 
You're gross. Here's the, here's, here's the song list. Once in a lifetime, I thought about you. Fly me to the moon. Put on a happy face. A lot of living to do. So in love. There'll be some changes made. Begin the begin. Begin the begin. I love that one. Cole Porter. Uh, uh, I think that's Cole Porter. Yeah. Uh, Brazil. For once in my life, maybe this and, uh, or sorry, maybe this time and, of course, New York, New York. And then you get some uh, bonus track Sway and uh, a couple of little um, featurettes on the Palladium. Uh, this is really great. This is from Image. And uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Concert uh, Blu-rays are the best. And uh, Feinstein is just, uh, he's a terrific performer. A really good performer. Great voice. Uh, I like him a lot better than Buble, i got to tell you. No, we're gonna be, he's Buble, lame. I'm Buble's so lame, lame over, over the Buble. He's, you know what? He's, 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 he's like the, uh, the, uh, the, the John Mayer of that sort of music. Yeah. He just seems kind of douchebaggy to me. Yeah. Like, he's so sincere, I want to kill him. Yeah. His Christmas special, Blue, by the way. He, he's, he's put on weight and he won't shave. I don't know what the deal is with that. You know who's put on weight is Vince Gill. I saw Vince Gill in some... He's got gills now. That was too easy of a joke. Sorry. Go on. It didn't make sense. I know. Um, Vince Gill is fat. Getting into the more classical uh, line of things here, we have a, a, a terrific disc here, um, Utaka Sado, and the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra doing um, "Flow From Me Flows What You Call Time by Takamitsu, a Japanese composer I've never heard of, and then Symphony Number no. 5 in D minor by Shostakovich. Uh, pretty great. This is, and the cool thing about this is that if you buy this disc, a uh, portion of the proceeds go to the Japanese earthquake victims uh, and tsunami victims from uh, earlier this year. So you're doing good deed at the same time. Uh, I am. I have never heard of uh, Toru Takamitsu, so call me a heathen. I considered myself something of a classical music uh, buff, but um, anyway, this is the uh, first time that uh, Yutaka Sado was uh, invited to um, conduct with the Berlin Philharmonic, and it is a great pair of performances, really terrific. I love the Shostakovich, and I really like the Takamitsu. I'm going to have to go look into uh, some more of his stuff. And then uh, another Blu-ray here, Richard Strauss, uh, De Liebe der Dane. And uh, this is a, um, a uh, three-act opera, which I also never heard of, uh, that was uh, it's actually quite interesting. I'm still not quite sure what I watched, but it was visually very engaging and uh, seemed to be quite an interesting uh, little mythical story to it. So anything uh, Richard Strauss is certainly worth it because, you know, he did the theme to 2001. You know that, right? Yes. Yeah. You mean it wasn't Alex North? Uh, no. Okay. No. That score was never used. Also a great new uh, Blu-ray here from uh, Arte, A-R-T-E, uh, EuroArts line. Uh, Gustav Mahler's Symphony Number no. 2 in C minor, the Resurrection Symphony, which is uh, really, really very nicely done. Um, this was recorded at the uh, Berlin Philharmonic in uh, March of 2005. And then we've got uh, La Tra- Blu-ray of La Traviata, which is a, a new performance of the Verdi, which is actually really Pretty cool and stylish. Uh, this also is a, a three-act uh, opera uh, directed for television by Miriam Hoyer. And, uh, again, really a very cool staging of this thing. That's, uh, that's also highly recommended. That's a beautiful Blu-ray. Really, really nice quality. Uh, Naxos, who distributes all this stuff, also has a great new Blu-ray of Janacek's Glagolitic Mass. And uh, masses can be really hit or miss uh, in just all of them. I mean, like the Misa Solemnis by Beethoven is a tremendous mass, and there are others that are just boring and impossibly uh, impenetrable. Uh, this is one I'd never heard of before. It's terrific, really, really great. Uh, Thirteen uh, different movements in it, and uh, very, very beautifully done by the War- Warsaw Philharmonic Orchestra. That's a great Blu-ray as well. And remember, it's the sound that counts in all these. You know, it's nice to see it, but the lossless audio for all these concerts, in, incomparable. Forget about CDs or any of the rest. This is just going to swell your house. Uh, Lancino's Requiem. Any Requiem is always cool by me. And this is one uh, that fits right in with the very, very best. This is also by Laxos. Uh, this is a Blu-ray audio disc. And um, as performed by the uh, Philharmonic Orchestra of Radio France. Really, really great. And uh, then uh, just a straight-up Blu-ray, The Little Mermaid um, by the San Francisco Ballet. I, I didn't even realize I'd done a Little Mermaid ballet, but uh, this is lovely. And uh, really don't expect, you know, the uh, Disney film by any means. There's no Alan Menken uh, 
music in this at all. And thank goodness. I like Alan Menken, but this is really very, very cool. It's more about the dancing than anything else. The music's great. Dancing's terrific. Um, the uh, Let's see. Get one more from the Naxos line. Yeah, this one. Carmen in 3D. I don't know how I feel about this. This is a real D um, attempt to push 3D into opera. This is a performance from the, uh, at the Royal Opera House, and uh, this is from Opus Arte. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, because it's uh, opera in 3D, I don't know. It's like it defeats the purpose of seeing the opera live, and it doesn't quite capture the same dynamic. And I'm not a fan of 3D, but I was like, okay, I saw Pena, the, uh, the Vim Vendors film, which has a little bit of the stage dynamic. They use the 3D to try to give you a sense that you're in the audience a little bit. Fine, I can, you know, I'll go with that gimmick a little bit. But this was... I don't know. Didn't um, I'm still trying. I'm still kind of juries out. It, it. I'm not sure that I liked it, but I, I think some people probably might. If you're looking to replicate that experience, and if you love the aforementioned Gustav Mahler Number no. Two Symphony, you can also get uh, a solid dose of that in the uh, a concert for New York release from Accentus Music. This was a uh, 9/11 benefit concert um, with uh, Alan Gilbert directing the New York Philharmonic, recorded at Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center uh, on September 10th, 2011. So this is just one day shy. This earlier this year of the 10-year uh, anniversary of 9/11. Can't believe it's been 10 years. And uh, also beautiful performance. So I mean, you know, you don't don't get one, get two. Do uh, two times smaller. Uh, Turandot, which is uh, a, a brilliant Puccini um, opera, was probably the most interesting version of this. Was directed by Zhang Yimou, and that's still available on DVD, though not on Blu-ray. This, however, is a very lovely Blu-ray that compares quite favorably with it, uh, thanks to direction by Franco Zeffirelli. And uh, I'm not sure, ultimately, which version I like better, if I like Zhang Yimou's version or Zeffirelli's version. One is obviously by an outsider to the world of opera and Italian culture, and the other by someone who has been, uh, for his whole life, immersed in it. But um, it's brisk, it's bold, it's very well staged, and uh, beautifully conducted by the uh, Coro e Orchestra della Arena di Verona, the Verona Orchestra, conducted by Giuliana Carella. Quite nice. And then lastly, The Love We Make, a chronicle of Paul McCartney's cathartic journey, journey through New York uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, another 9-11 uh, tribute uh, disc on Blu-ray, courtesy of the people at Eagle. And uh, I, don't, I think this is, uh, Paul McCartney probably thinks this is a bigger deal than it really is, but it's, it's actually very, very touching. Um, it's just not any kind of a landmark, legendary you know, bit of music or documentary filmmaking, but it certainly does. Uh, you know, for if, if you want your little library of remembrance DVDs and Blu-rays for 9/11, it certainly has a, a place. It'll fill it, it'll fill a spot. Wait, classical music fills a spot in your life. It does. In me, in my life, it creates a spot, a spot that is oh. only filled with uh, with uh, rock music and food. Oh, you! Dad, I don't how like dare you? I like classical music. How dare you? I mean, I would never listen to it. Uh, shall we do a little bit of television, Mark? Television? smell vision It replaces it. I know. Uh, here, I'll, uh, I'll start us off with Underbelly, the trilogy, all three uncut, uncensored seasons. I know what you're thinking. Underbelly? What the hell is Underbelly? Uh, that's what I thought, too. I'm utter- otherwise utterly unfamiliar with Underbelly, which is an Australian series, and uh, it's like an Australian version of Goodfellas on television. And it's, it's violent and weird. And uh, it's just rife with all kinds of stuff that would never, ever in a million years make it on American television unless it was on cable. And uh, you know what? Uh, check it out. It's, you know, we don't get enough Australian television over here. We get all kinds of stuff on, from the BBC. But Australia really does create a lot of interesting television stuff because a lot of the great Australian actors and directors and writers who wind up in Hollywood, this is where they hone their skills. Sure. So, yeah, this is a tril- uh, uh, three seasons of this show called Underbelly. And uh, the only people who've ever had a chance to really watch this here are people who watch this Audience Network, which is only available on DirecTV. And since I don't have DirecTV, I've never heard of Audience. So I'm wondering how many people are actually getting a look at this. Six. Probably. I counted. Yeah. Uh, Wade, you know, they do TV in Canada, too. Bet you didn't know that. They're big enough to have televisions up there? That's right. Canada. I thought they just, you know, farm caribou and uh, no. say A a lot. No. Drink Ameri- beer. America's hat. Bob and Doug McKenzie, they're Canadian. Ugh. 
Not funny. Uh, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Universe. That was a uh, that's a funky little show. That was in the late '80s, and it was developed by Mark Scott Zacree, who a lot of you know mm-hmm. for writing the definitive Twilight Zone compendium book. But uh, this is from 1987-88, and it ran for uh, about 20 episodes, and it takes place in the 22nd century during the right following the Metal Wars, way the Terminator esque Metal Wars. So the wait, the, so the Metal Wars. See, I always thought the Metal Wars were when. Um Kiss took on... Uh, Kiss Saves Christmas? Kiss Saves Christmas. No, Kiss versus the Phantom. That was the best. They shot yeah. that at Magic Mountain. That was awesome. awesome. <laughs> anyway, Captain Power... This is a weird show because um, it was called Captain Power, so it sounds kind of cheesy, and there's a lot of 1987-era you know, uh, mm-hmm. CGI effects, which are really kind of cheesy. But they there was the, the show had like a Star Trekian streak where it would yeah. try to tackle... You know, Nazism and these more adult themes. And I don't know that the two ever really meshed that well, but uh, the entire series is available now on, uh, it should be uh, Blu-ray, but it's on DVD. Wicked. Uh, So special features include a making of the show, uh, some stuff on season two, uh, commentary, whatnot, on some of the episodes. So Captain Power is definitely a uh, piece of nostalgia for those who remember your Canadian television from the late 80s and who doesn't. Uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Portlandia, season one. Uh, you know, this stuff just comes out of the blue, and I'm like, I, how do I not know about this? And this is why it's kind of cool to, to get the Blu-rays and the DVDs, because some of this stuff, there's so many channels now, this stuff goes right past me. I had no idea that Fred Armisen was doing anything other than the occasional movie and then uh, being super, super funny and carrying Saturday Night Live on his back every single week. He and Kristen Wiig just carry that show on their backs these days. Fred Armisen is just, he's genius. I find the guy so un- incredibly hysterically funny. Uh, but anyway, this is a, um, a uh, short-based comedy series from IFC and Broadway Video called Portlandia. And um, Fred Armisen apparently co-created this with uh, Carrie Brownstein, who is a, uh, you know, a, a musician and a singer. And the short films that con- constitute this thing um, all take place in the weird confines of Portland, Oregon. And it's it's a peculiar, interesting, clever show that I uh, I think might kind of grow on me with time. I'm uh, again, I'm still kind of a little bit undecided on it. it. Feels a little bit uneven at times. It feels a little bit rushed. But um, what really keeps it going is the fact that they they pull all of their friends into it, and uh, you get a lot of really cool guest stars in here. Now, Lauren Michaels obviously EP'd this as he seems to do with every. I guess as a rule, an unwritten rule that if you're an SNL alum and you make a movie or another show that Lorne Michaels has to also produce that because they don't seem to be able to cut those ties well if that's the case he's made a lot of bad movies yeah he has we know that but I still like the uh, the ladies man I still find that funny anyway um, so there you go uh, Armiston uh, Armiston and Carrie Brownstein's uh, Portlandia the uh, first season so yeah how they have time to do all this stuff I don't know uh, well, because the, the, the show only produces ex, uh, very few relative to other shows, very few original episodes a year. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, there's a Showtime show called Queer as Folk about a bunch of uh, gay men living uh, in the United States. Well, you know, that was based on a UK show also called Queer as Folk. And the complete collection of Queer as Folk is now available on DVD from the good people at Acorn. Um, this show was a little more, uh, it was a little more groundbreaking, I think, than the, um, than the American Version which starred uh, by far, yeah, which starred you know Hal Sparks from Talk yeah. Soup, and so here you've got a lot of this stuff is very poignant and very realistic, and I, this was way more, again as Wade says, way way more realistic than the uh, than the American remake. So if you want to check out where it all came from, you should check out uh, Queers Folk, the complete collection from Acorn Media. There's a couple of uh, bonus features on here, including uh, some commentaries, deleted scenes, interviews, a 20 page booklet. So if you like the show, go for it. It's all about uh, gay people in Manchester. You know what's not about gay people? Star Wars. Jersey Shore. Uh, I hate Jersey Shore. And I'm convinced that Jersey Shore is proof that Paramount hates everyone uh, who watches television. Seriously, I can't. And and you know, it's funny. I didn't realize these people, they're they're not from Jersey. They're they're New Yorkers. Because I saw a thing where uh, Chris Christie was on TV and he was going out of his way to point out that like these losers, these disgusting, stupid losers on television do not represent New Jersey. You would think that a popular show about Jersey Shore would be sort of embraced by the governor of New Jersey. Apparently not so much. 
Well, it doesn't matter where they're from. There's no reason why any— It's like a horrible stereotype. —why any politician should be embracing Jersey Shore. No, true. I mean, literally, it is is the worst of culture. (laughs) It is the worst. It's just these people are now all rich, these these, these horrible, dreadful people, Snooky and— Because the thing is, is that, like, shows like—here's the thing. We—you know, we've now—we're now part of a culture— Who calls themselves the situation? We're, we we are now in a culture where we're now in a culture where any idiot who acts like a douchebag yeah. can be on television oh, if they just get themselves. Because you know, the thing is that it, it, people used to say, "How am I going to be famous? I can't act. I can't write music. I can't write a novel. I can't direct a, a feature." You know, you, ha- you you used to have to say to yourself, "Gee, I don't have the tools that it takes." To break out in the pop culture because I yeah. don't have the very specific talents necessary. Well, nowadays, no talent necessary. No talent. None. No talent. And, and none of these people act, have any talent. You act like a jerk, you're, you're in. Done. That's, it. That's all it takes. <laughs> act like a jerk, you're in. Well, if you disagree with this, then you'll just really get a kick out of uh, Jersey Shore Season 4 uncensored. But I don't see what the point is. I really don't. These are just awful people. And, and, you know, yeah, it's a big deal. So they go to Florence, Italy, uh, and you get, a, you know, you, you can go to Florence, Italy on travel DVDs and travel Blu-rays, and you get a better scene, of the, a better sights of the city. Um, you don't have to go there with all these imbeciles. Uh, you know, at least they're not disgracing New Jersey in this one. But seriously, how horrible. Um, Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs is an interesting, this is Collector's Edition Volume 1. This is an interesting series that uh, originally an anime show from uh, Japan that really has sort of fallen between the cracks. And it's not any more extraordinary than, say, Voltron, which was created by the same people, uh, or even uh, Star Blazers, which is my preference from, uh, from roughly the same area. This, was, uh, this is a little bit after Star Blazers from the 1980s. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's a, it's like a Western, it's like a science fiction Western in space is basically what it is. A lot of creative animation, obviously in an older era of uh, anime, going back about 30 years and uh, a little bit more raw, a little bit closer to the, uh, you know, that mid-interim period between uh, Astro Boy and all of the really spectacular stuff that started exploding in the 90s. But uh, otherwise, you know, pretty decent, some good writing and uh, nice characterization. So I'm, uh, I'm not opposed. And this is Volume 1. Looking forward to many more cool volumes from VCI. They scored a good one with this. Uh, Wait, over at IFC, they have a, a funky little show called the, uh, the Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret. And what's notable about the series is that it is kind of an amalgam of American humor, American sitcom humor, and British sitcom humor. It was created by and stars David Cross, very famous American uh, cult comic, if you can be cult and famous, and also Sean Pye, who is British. And the two of them kind of get together to do the show called uh, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, and somehow... Their their efforts um, don't really add I, up to much. I comedy. gotta tell you something. I I feel so bad for him that he has to keep recurring that, that with that awful, dreadful recurring part in the Chipmunk movies. That I you know how much money he makes for that. I'm sure he, it, it pays he, his mortgage. For I'm a year. sure it does. But you can tell. Like I had to sit through the last Chipmunk film. With a whole bunch of our colleagues, it was actually quite funny. Uh, uh, Christy Lemire sat in front of me and was laughing at all of my snickering. I guess um, the the I, I nearly cried just when the movie started. It was horrible. Um, Michael Reshaffen sitting next to me, his little boy, w- kept saying through the whole thing, "Yeah, I knew that was going to happen." Yeah, now that doesn't bode well for a film when kids are like, "Yeah, I saw that one coming." <laughs> you, you, you can't even get out in front of the kids. It's terrible. Yeah, well, t- uh, well, you know what. I'm not sure if Todd Margaret's going to be... He just phones it in. It doesn't look like Todd Margaret's going to be renewed, but... Uh, or maybe... Or possibly. I'm not really sure. But all I know is that this first season is, uh, is, is, pretty, um, is pretty mediocre. The story involves... Uh, Todd Margaret winds up uh, being tapped to uh, run this... To sell, like, this North Korean energy drink called Thunder Muscle. Yeah. And so he is uh, packed off to London to take this job, of which he is horribly unqualified. And uh, so it's almost like uh, it, it. You know what it is? It, it's it's almost like taking um, Steve Carell from the American Office and making mm-hmm. him work in the British Office. Oh, it's kind of like that. 
I get you. But right. this is not nearly as funny as that. That's too bad. It's got a good cast, though. It also has Will Arnett, who we like. But uh, anyway, uh, blooper reel is always funny because those guys are hilarious. Still some deleted scenes. Q&A with the cast. But uh, not funny, the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Archer, the complete season two. This is an animated show on FX that starts its new season on the 19th of January. So they are obviously pumping you up to uh, get you ready for that new season and maybe earn some new viewers. With the uh, complete season two on Blu-ray, Archer is basically a spot animated show and uh, you know Sterling Archer is the the titular character I said titular you like that maybe the first time on this podcast I've ever said that mm. he uh, he works for Isis and uh, what can I tell you it's a secret agent thing it's uh, it's well intentioned uh, it tries a little too hard I think to be all kind of slick and spy and uh, and fit in with all of the uh, the spy motifs that we're all accustomed to with you know whatever it is everything from Man from Uncle to get smart to you name it, but um, the animation is interesting. And bear in mind, this is oriented for grown-ups, uh, not for kids. So this is like grown-up show animation, and uh, that's that's fine. It, it gets into uh, you know it, it pushes the envelope a little bit, and uh, it's not entirely risque, but it certainly tries to have a, a, a groovy, sexy. 70s and 80s vibe to it and that's fine it works uh, um, but you know I don't know how, how much longer they can keep this going it just doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel unique enough it feels a little bit unique but I think it needs something I can't maybe interesting voice, voice characterizations I don't know do you think the uh, the Borges has uh, unique voice characterizations it doesn't matter because it has Jeremy Irons and, you know, the, the history of the Borges is what the uh, Godfather was loosely based on well it's funny because pe- you know, people thought that this would be like like the actual Godfather in the time yeah, that yeah. you know that the inspiration took place, the medieval Godfather, the medieval Godfather, like yeah. the, like like the Italian dynasty, Spanish origin, the Pope, the whole thing yeah. plays in. But I think um, I think a lot of people were disappointed. Although it it, it did well enough to um, uh, you know warrant another season. It looks great. It's got Jeremy Irons, who is of course uh, fantastic because we all love Jeremy Irons. He plays um, Pope Alexander the uh, Sixth. He's very ambitious, and he heads the Borgia family. Which and is like the, whatever- the most ruthless, domineering, dominant family dynasty in history. Yes. Beyond any question. Now, don't forget, too, you know, one of the producers here is Neil Jordan. Yeah. So you know, this, you know, so you know there's good stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a Blu-ray with, some, with a couple special features that are like, meh, okay. Uh, there's some BD Live stuff on it, which still is not being used to any decent effect. Um, anyway, it's really well shot. Jeremy Irons is great. It is sort of, uh, it's got a lot of backstabbing and ruthlessness, which people like. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, kind of a funky little show. I like it. Groovy. Do you think it's groovy, Wade? I do. No, you don't. I think it's groovy. I don't think the show, I don't think it's as good as it should be, but uh, I was surprised at how good it was for a first season. And I think they can hone a lot of those things and, you know, keep relatively close to the historical record and, you know, kind of dramatize a little instead of going full on, full tilt. Uh, melodrama. I think they could do some fun things. Well, I, I think people are really taken by the production design. It looks great. It's what they do a lot of on HBO and Showtime. Is the is all that stuff? They, very, they really very sumptuous production design. You know, it looks like a, it looks like a big movie. You know, it's and the thing is that this is sort of coming coming off the the uh, the Tudors. Yeah, which was well, that was the inspiration for it. That's why they went ahead and did it. Right, and that was the Showtime version. I think this. I don't know. Is this better than the Tudors? I can't decide. I kind of think it is. You think I, so? I kind of do. I feel like it, it looks is better. because because it looks better. the Borgia, the, you know, everything about Henry VIII and his family is something that's so well worn. I think the Borgias at least feels fresh, and Jeremy Irons just feels, you know, he's just he, he always nails it. Yeah, but the Tudors has like Sam Neill and I know Max von Sydow showed up for an episode or whatever. Yeah, Henry uh, Henry Cavill, who's playing uh, whatever his name is, who's playing yeah. Superman. Yeah, he's in it. True. True, it's very true. It, it does kind of have a better. Uh, the the Tudors has a better cast. Yes, it does. I'll put it that way. Yes. but I think that the Borgias is a better show. I'll go with that. Thank I'll you. go with that. Um, Mark, finish this off on television, and then I will blow through a bunch of these Miramax classics releases that just came out from uh, Echo Bridge, and then we'll move on with movies. Uh, Wait, here's the thing. Yes. Show on the Sheep is a uh, British uh, stop-motion animated children's series. Now, this yep. is uh, produced by the Ardman Studios, uh, the Wallace and Gromit people, Nick Park. So you know what you're getting. Good. Good stuff. Um, this is the second season, which is in a big, thick case, which I don't understand why it's necessary to put the whole... 
season. I mean, shelf there are space. Four, I mean, the, well, catch the, your eye on the shelf. I guess. I mean, look, the, the, there are forty episodes here, but still, you know what it's like. It really doesn't need to be in a huge case like this. No, anyway, not really. Um, forty episodes. It's it all takes place in a. Um, I guess you'd say like a. Farm. Uh, like a farm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all, all the animals are all the animals are smart, and it takes place in a farm, and you know, it's all about the how how, how, how they all have to evade like this big sheepdog named Bitzer. Yeah, and so like Sean has to evade Bitzer and all little the usual the usual the usual farm shenanigans. Yes, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's a cute it, show. It's a cute show. Is it is it Arben at their best? No. Is it Nick Park at his best? No. But you know what? I'm telling you, if you're going to watch a children's show and you're going to have it be something that's cute and well done, oh, for sure. and clever, and the adults can enjoy it too. I got to tell you, at Christmas yesterday, um, one of my wife's uh, cousin's little daughter who was there adorable cutest girl in the world wanted to watch something on TV I said what do you want to watch she goes Spongebob my heart sank I just thought really is this like every child I run into is into Spongebob Spongebob's what is the cute. deal what like is the, Sponge- the deal I like the Spongebob movie <sighs> what is the deal every why don't you child? show her this show her uh, show on the sheep what, what happened to Bugs Bunny because they, because because Bugs Bunny is not on Saturday morning or, or, or prime kid access uh, uh, you know TV time Terrible. Saturday morning you know, cable when they get home from when they get home from school. You know, that's all. That's all uh, SpongeBob. Okay, we're gonna blow through these uh, Miramax classics, and then we'll uh, actually then we'll do some. Let's do some listener mail, and then our top uh, picks for the uh, for the leaf of the year, and then uh, wrap out with a bunch of whatever the whatever so else. So many we can new get movies, Wade. What are you doing? Just give us Tons. the movies. Okay, well here, real quick, Miramax classics. A bunch of Miramax library titles from Echo Bridge have uh, also now been re-released. These have been out before from when they were with uh, Disney. Now they're out once again. So don't worry about it. They're uh, they're they're available for rental or purchase, whatever you want. Map of the Human Heart from Vincent Ward, a director who was very promising and then went nowhere. Uh, this is the film that put him on the map. It is a flawed. But interesting movie. Uh, originally kind of tried to do a little something with Jason Scott Lee. Um, didn't really go anywhere. I mean, it's, an, it's a very ambitious epic. Doesn't really quite get there. Brassed off. Great little movie that uh, the Weinsteins were passionate about back in the time with Ewan McGregor and Tara Fitzgerald and Pete Postlethwaite. A great little, uh, little blue-collar British indie. Uh, I really like this film. I thought it was terrific. It kind of slots in there with the um, full Monty Crowd, you know, movies about uh, blue collar people trying to make a difference. You know what? All those that that little subgenre of like yeah. Billy Elliot, Calendar Girls, love them all. You, you love them all. I love them all. They're all great. The amazing Johnny Toe uh, and uh, action director Ching Su Tung, both of whom have just done some of the most amazing films in the history of Hong Kong. Uh, this is back when Johnny Toe was not quite the auteur that he is today. He wasn't yet able to make all these cool gangster movies, so he had to do kind of works for hire, one of which was The Heroic Trio. This is an amazingly cool film that I can't really recommend uh, in this format, I still have to recommend the uh, the, the imports because this is this is not going this is not the cut or the uh, with all the dubbing that's I have a problem with it. But anyway, this is the heroic trio starring Michelle Yeoh, Anita Moy, Maggie Chung as a trio of kind of female superheroes, very dark female superheroes who have to come together to defeat an evil sorcerer who kidnaps babies that eat people. It's kind of nasty, but it's a cool movie if you can get the import. But this one is not recommended. Although, hang on. Here's what is recommended. What is Because I figured we're talking about Johnny Toe. Yeah. Got to talk about Election. Sure. One and two. Yeah. Exiled. Awesome. Breaking News. Oh, Exiled so good. Yes. Breaking yeah. News, which is on Cannes. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we do love our Johnny Toe. Uh, Richard Stanley, who once uh, stood in my kitchen and said some very strange things, uh, still can't really get work directing anything again. But Dust Devil was one of his more interesting uh, pictures. And, uh, you know, Richard Stanley's a weird dude and he makes some weird, creepy genre movies. And he's very talented. And I wish somebody would. I wish somebody would give him a job. Um, he, the st- one of the stories that I heard him personally recount about Dust Devil was how they, to get a certain effect, they um, actually burned the carcasses of real cows in a field and I guess got in trouble for it or something, if I'm recalling correctly. Creepy. Uh, so anyway, there's just no way to actually describe this. This is kind of a, it's, it's a weird African set, kind of a serial killer genre ghost Phantom movie, and that's all you need to know. It's 
creepy. Uh, Basquiat features one of the best performances of the career of Jeffrey Wright, who almost single-handedly rescues uh, the new... Uh, uh, incredibly close. Incre- and uh, no, extremely close, la- incredibly loud. No, other way around. Extremely, extremely loud, loud, incredibly, incredibly close. close. Worst title ever. Uh, Jeffrey Wright almost single-handedly rescues that film. He Don't you works. feel like he should have like been at least been at least been nominated for three Oscars? Let alone- By now? Yeah, absolutely. Like- uh, Gary Oldman, too. Yeah. Neither of those guys have ever even been nominated for anything. It's incredible. Jeffrey Wright should have won something. He's such a good actor. Uh, as Basquiat, the famous artist, he is tremendous and carries this movie despite the fact that David Bowie does the single worst uh, impression of all time of uh, Andy Warhol. It is just embarrassingly horrible. But uh, really, really good uh, effort at directing and writing, frankly, by Julian Schnabel, who knew Basquiat and was close friends with him. And then lastly, uh, Get Bruce was the Miramax documentary about uh, the utterly bizarre and, and weird, freakish comedy writer who has, to my knowledge, done nothing other than the Oscars, Bruce Valanche. Uh, Bruce Valanche is, you know, you, you know him probably as that guy who looks like he should be some kind of a Muppet. He's got hair all over. He's the worst hairstyle, big beard. He's fat. Uh, he's just, all he, he, and he always wears strange t-shirts. He wears strange t-shirts, and all he does is write lines for the Oscars. And he was going to be fired this year until they then wound up firing um, Brett Ratner, and I guess now Valanche is probably back in the mix. All right, there we have it. Uh, Mark, new movies. Movies? Uh, or should I read listener mail? What do you want to do? Let's do some listener mail. Let's listener break mail. it up. Let's do it. We're going to get on track today. That's where we will. I'm just too tired. Uh, let's see. We had a listener mail from uh, Aaron Chalmers who said, I, draw, I saw Drive in the theaters recently and loved it. One of my favorite of the year. What are your thoughts? I don't often respond much either way to soundtracks, but I thought for Drive it was perfect. Uh, also, do you have any comments on theater etiquette? I saw Valhalla Rising at the IFC Theater in New York, a tiny living room theater with about eight people in there, and I was the only one to get popcorn. I tried to eat as much as I could during previews, but I couldn't finish and put it down once it started. What would you have done? Great show. I've listened and watched for years. You know, um, you realize that the Drive soundtrack... Did not qualify, did not qualify. for the Oscars. It's There's... one of, and, and neither did uh, My Week with Marilyn. Yes. Well, weird... dri- well, Drive is the one that's a little more upsetting because uh, with Drive, it's all a lot so- of... it's all song oriented. That was songs. they have a weird rule that says if it relies to if a score relies too heavily on songs, it's ineligible. My week with Marilyn was more that they they it used another composer's theme too heavily. The De, De Pla theme is used is too integrated into the other guy's score, so that that disqualified it. But Drive was weird. I, I don't know why they would do that. Unle- I mean, songs, you know, so what. If the song, if it requires it, if it's if it's suitable, it should be part of the score. I agree. I, you know, as you know, in our group, LAFCA, LA yeah. Film Critics, we vote for the totality of the music. music in the film, even if it's original music, adapted music, source music, doesn't matter. It's the way that music is used, correct? Which I sometimes prefer. Uh, but we love we love drive. We love the use of music. Love it. Love it. Love yeah. Nicholas Winding Refn. Love yeah, I love it. And as for theater etiquette, yeah, you know what? If they're serving popcorn in the theater, just friggin' eat it. I mean, it it may make noise in the in the smaller rooms, but I'm sorry, that's it. You know, they serve it. You get to eat it. That's the thing. You know what? You, you would think that it, that in the twenty, 20- like, it's not like you're bringing a pizza in. Well, but a pizza's okay because a pizza doesn't sure. crunch. Exactly. I mean, popcorn crunches when you open yep. when you open up a box of raisinets. It is wrapped in True. cellophane, and and it's it's funny. And I, I think I I when I responded to his email, I mentioned this is that somebody will buy a box of raisinets. Yeah. And it's wrapped in cellophane. Yep. And so people think that if they open up the box, if they unwrap the cellophane slowly, no. Fast. It'll, it'll it'll make it seem like you know they're being courteous. They're trying to do it as quietly no, as they can't can. Do that. Don't, it makes just as much noise. Just rip the Band-Aid off and just rip off the goddamn cellophane and get it over with in two seconds. I agree. Makes me angry. Uh, I'm going to mangle his name, but this is uh, Peter from Toronto. Peter Kozoriz. 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 Whatever it is. It's one of those. It has to be. Hi, Wade Mark. I know you guys are hammering us for audio-submitted questions. Yes, gods at digigods.com. We haven't gotten one in a couple of weeks. No, what is wrong with you people? Gods at digigods.com. And uh, though I could no longer own a webcam slash microphone, for lack of use, I would like to submit a question that I hope will be of interest. Can you explain what telecine slash inverse telecine 
3-2 pull-down, de-interlacing, and frame rates are and why they are important when it comes to experiencing cinema. I've tried to wrap my head around these, and though I have a pretty good general idea, I was hoping maybe you could explain the processes better in layman's terms. That it is would, a huge question. It is an enormous question, and I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to refer you actually to the very, very good article in Wikipedia. If you, if you uh, go to Wikipedia and you look up uh, Telecine, and it w- or inverse telecine, it'll give you all the information on it. And it really gets extremely technical. But what we're talking about is um, how they take 24, because the, the frame rate of video is different from the frame rate of film. Film runs at 24 frames a second. And when you transfer that, and I know this because when I shot my music video in film school, it was a nightmare to do all these calculations because we didn't have all the tools then that we have now. But you you have to do a weird interpolation. The 3-2 pull-down is this weird interpolation of how you squeeze um, an inexact number of frames into uh, film frames into video frames. And it's, uh, it's a calculation, and it's an imperfect calculation, but it's the only way that you can get film to look like film uh, to have basically the same running time when it transfers to, uh, to video. And a lot of that is going away now thanks to, to Blu-ray and high def because we don't have NTSC anymore. We don't have PAL. Those formats are going away as everybody moves to high def. And, and then it's just 1080p all around the world. So that's a nice thing. But um, what all of this stuff is, they're basically it just gets into a very complicated series of processes that are necessary so that film can look like film when it's transferred into the video world. Well, because yes, because additional frames need to be added to the... To the picture in order Every to so it's like leap year in, in yes in order to increase a 24 frame piece of material into think, a that's it it's a 30 frame piece of material think of it like leap year you know there, that there are these frames that are like leap year frames where you have to add something in order where you have to add a frame in order to come out with the proper length and by the way inverse telecine is the other way around it's taking something that was yes 30 frames and making it into 24, 24. frame correct absolutely uh, Mark, let, let's hear your let's hear your picks for the year. Oh, is that the only letter we have? No, no those were the two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Wade, uh, I'll tell you what. Should we go back and forth? Should we do ten, ten, nine, nine, eight, eight, or should I just read all my well, ten? Read all your ten because I've got thirteen. Yeah. Well, kind you're, of. It's more like twenty. I cheated, but uh, anyway, go on. God, you always make it difficult. <laughs> let's see how many of mine are on yours. Now, this is an alphabetical okay. order. You ready? Go for it. Uh, ben Hur, yep, fiftieth anniversary Ultimate yep. Collector's Edition. Yep, uh, Dust Boat. Ooh, now I have fourteen. Dust Boat. Did we, did we have a Dust Boat in two thousand eleven? We had a brand new one. Really? Uh, Blu-ray. It was like a Blu-ray Collector's Insanity Edition. Wow. Did you not know that? I don't. I don't think we actually received that. No, we did. We talked about it. Did we? Yes. Two disc collectors, uh, director's cut, director's set, whatever that's called. Yeah, wow, like like half, that's back in June. That's like ancient history. I've totally forgotten about that. Good call. Citizen Kane. Yep. Raging Bull. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Scarface. Yeah, that's a good one too. These are all yours, aren't they? No. No? No, Raging Bull and Scarface didn't make my list. Ooh. Uh, Stanley Kubrick. Which? The Essential Collection. Oh, well, okay, fine. The whole That's kind of cheating. There's a bunch of movies in that too. Well, that's, that's it's still a Blu-ray release. True. Uh, Star Wars? Yeah, I wouldn't have made mine. Uh, I'm going to say Social Network. Okay. And um, Tree of Life. Good one. And Movie that I love, though I'm not going to put it at the top of any, on, my, uh, on my Blu-ray list, believe what? it or not. Tree of Life? Yeah. Oh, okay. It didn't make my cut. Really? No. It's gorgeous. Probably. I mean, it's gorgeous. I recommend it, but as my top list, it didn't, didn't make it. Well... I'm going to say uh, the, the last one will be Toy Story three, but I know that uh, somewhere in your list is the uh, Three Colors trilogy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Now, by the way, before mm. I read, before we hear the rest of yours, yes. I would like to say the worst Blu-ray of the year. Yeah, the worst Blu-ray of the year. Yes. Now, when I say worst, I don't mean like. Is it this Horror Express? That's Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I know. And Telly Savalas. <laughs> well, come we'll get, on. We'll get to that in a moment. It's actually the best. I know. Worst of the year. 50th anniversary of West Side Story. Yeah, for the big mistake. For the big mistake. That is the yeah. worst Blu-ray of the year. I agree. And then when they fix it, it will become the best Blu-ray of yes, the year. Yes, it will. But now it is the worst. 
Go, Wade. Okay, well, I, I'm going to start off. I'm, uh, there's a huge slew of mine that are Criterion releases. Obviously, three colors, blue, white, and red. Far and away, DVD and Blu-ray, best release of the year. Uh, it's magnificent, brilliant films, incredible transfers. It'll blow your mind. Uh, also, the complete Jean Vigo from Criterion. Uh, all, every film made by the, uh, the incredibly talented Jean Vigo who died prematurely. Most famous for La Talente, which is on here along with everything else that he did. A propos de Nice, Taris, Zelle de Conduite. Uh, brilliant filmmaker. Such a, a, a tragically short career. Uh, that's a wonderful set as well. Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander. The uh, great Stanley Kubrick film The Killing, which also includes Killer's Kiss. His very, very first uh, narrative film. The Charles Chaplin film, The Great Dictator, on Blu-ray. And uh, Sweet Smell of Success. That's Those Criterions. Ooh, I forgot about Sweet those, Smell of Success. I love cri- that film. Those Criterions are just spectacular. And then I have a whole batch of Kino releases here. Uh. All of the Buster Keaton films that are out on Blu-ray, Our Hospitality, Buster Keaton's Short Films Collection, and Seven Chances. Great. Every last one of them, absolutely spectacular. And then a couple of D.W. Griffith films, Way Down East and Birth of a Nation on Blu-ray, also incredible, all great film history stuff. And City of Life and Death on Blu-ray. Um, the amazing Chinese film that we gave our uh, LAFCA Foreign Language Award to, uh, black and white, widescreen, story of uh, the, the rape of Nanjing, unbelievably bru- brutal, grueling, horrible, awesome, brilliant, genius movie. Uh, a nightmare to sit through, but on Blu-ray, just spectacular. And then, yes, I included uh, four fabulous collector's editions from the studio releases. Not Scarface, though. I Scarface, you know, this is where I was. I was really struggling. Do I want to start like Tree of Life and Scarface? And I could have gone to town with all of those, but I chose four, two of which you already mentioned: uh, the Ben Hur 50th anniversary release, the Citizen Kane Ultimate Collector's Edition, both on Blu-ray, and then also the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory 40th release and the Dumbo 70th anniversary release. Ooh, Willy Wonka, good one. And Dumbo. Had to put a, had to put a family one in there. So those are my big Blu-ray picks for uh, 2011. Well, there was also a good uh, Bambi. It was a great Bambi. A Bambi release. But sure. I couldn't do I couldn't do two Disney films in the list. I understand. So anyway, those are my picks. So how long would Bambi last if he if he starred in Zombie Apocalypse? Uh, if he were a zombie, he would eat them all. Awesome. Yeah. This is um, uncut and unrated, which means nothing because no one saw the original. <laughs> wow, a film I never saw is uncut and unrated. Who gives an s? Um, I am all about zombies, but I feel like I'm starting to lose it. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> uh, on uh, zombies and vampires and werewolves, I'm about done. It's like how how much more zombie crap do we need? Yeah, now well, this is with Ving Rhames, who this guy just cannot get decent work anymore. No. What happened to Ving Rhames? It's oh, just so believe sad. me, I've got stories. What do you I, mean? I'll tell you some stories after the show. Really? Yeah. Uh, Ving Rhames? I just, well, look, I mean, I, I have a friend who directed Ving Rhames in a movie, and then, you know, I, I was, my wife was involved in uh, getting post-production finished on a film that Ving Rhames was in. So, I mean, I have some connectivity to Ving Rhames. Really? Yeah. Wow. Make a note of that. I want to hear that after the okay. show. I'll tell you all uh, about it. Anyway, this film was, uh, it, it, it's kind of low budget so it's not particularly well shot, but it is on Blu-ray, so it looks good on Blu-ray. Um, you know, the thing with the thing with zo- the thing with these zombie films too is that I think I think they're really cheap to make because here's what happens: all zombie films, <laughs> most of the scenes in a zombie film either take place in some like empty alleyway, or mm-hmm. like in some big grassy farm. And so and- cheap uh, cheap locations, you can get. You can dress 15 people up in crazy makeup, and those are your, they, you just reuse them as your zombies. And you don't have to train them how to act. There's no. not a lot of directing going on. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen enough zombie movies to know exactly how zombies act. Yes. You act as you do when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to go get a sandwich. The, exactly. Yeah. The only one of these uh, zombie vampire movies I am totally on board for yeah. is um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> You've heard of that, right? I have. It's awesome. How can I love that? Oh, heck. <laughs> uh, Horror Express is a Blu-ray DVD combo that we just teased a second ago with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, the old Hammer Horror guys, along with Telly Savalas, of all people. Uh, this is a release from Severin. This was made in 1972. And Severin has been doing a very good job of taking these old exploitation films and uh, giving them the Blu-ray treatment so that they actually look cool and splashy and and Blu-ray appropriate, but don't lose that weird, creepy, kind of crimson-tinged 
film stock look that made them so eerie back in the 70s. So they really do split the difference very, very nicely. And this is this comes from a pristine vault element, and uh, it, it really, really uh, looks terrific. Is the film terrific? Not really. Uh, the only thing that's good here is that is Telly Savalas, who plays this... Um, this and there are zombies in this, by the way, too, Mark. This is this is also a zombie movie, but it's 1972, so it's it's okay. No, the um, uh, the only thing that really works here is Telly Savalas as this this absolutely crazed uh, Russian military guy. Um, it's just it, the whole thing takes place on the uh, Trans Siberian Express, and uh, they basically it's like Night of the Living Dead on a train. I don't know how else you uh, you can really explain it. It's uh, it's just nuts. You know why I like Severin as a Blu-ray release house? Huh? Uh, because Severin was the name of that uh, that, that that hippie villain from uh, the Star Trek episode, The Way to Eden. Oh, that's right, Doctor Severin. Yes. Yes. Heading out to Eden, yay, brother. <laughs> Gotta get my blood checked and jump for joy or whatever it was. Got a clean bill of health from Dr. McCoy. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. the best. <laughs> oh, we're just sad Sp- people. Spock jamming on that little harp. Doom, 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 doom. Great. It's awesome. That show sucked. It really did. That whole series just sucked. There's like there's like ten good episodes. And it's and it the thing is that it, it literally has it has it has completely consumed my entire childhood and most of my adult life. That series, I know, and it was really, it was really, it was based on an original series. I know that like two thirds of them suck. Yeah, two thirds of the episodes of Star Trek are terrible. Totally true. Totally how, true. How'd that happen? I don't know. That's the worst. Final Destination Five. It's about uh, a guy sees uh, <laughs> premonition, and then he once thinks, you've gone through five of these, I don't know I where know. you go. I don't know where else you go. I know. Although, well, you know what? I, I, I will say this, and it, it really does pain me to see this, is that um, the guy who directed this guy, um, Stephen Quayle, he's kind of a yeah. James Cameron-y, kind of a, I don't know. Loser. Acolyte, protege, yeah. whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, he actually kind of infuses this tired series with a little bit of energy. So I kind of appreciated that. Um, but I think at this point it's just too, it's just it's just putting lipstick on a pig. It's just trying to resurrect a dead horse. But I I, I think Quay did a uh, Quail did a decent job, uh, you know, trying to put some extra energy into this thing. But ultimately, it's just it's just a, it's just a dead franchise. They they just have to stop. I uh, got a couple of Kino releases here, both on Blu-ray and on DVD, and uh, they're both really worthwhile. Uh, one is Ernest Hemingway's Farewell to Arms. This is uh, Taken from beautiful archival elements with Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes, uh, I don't know how faithful it is necessarily to the source material. It's uh, you know the Hemingway is obviously much tougher and grittier and has all that Hemingway language, but as as just a, a filmed adaptation with all that kind of cool old Hollywood style, it really is quite good. Uh, this was made in 1932, uh, pre. It's sort of a it's a it's a. It's not a pre-code film, but it almost feels in some respects a little bit like a pre-code film. And I wish it were more pre-code than it is. Uh, directed by Frank Borzegi and uh, really, you know, pretty terrific. Looks gorgeous on Blu-ray. So I would, I would recommend that on Blu-ray, absolutely. And then uh, William Wellman, one of the great early directors uh, of, the, uh, of the sound era, also did uh, Nothing Sacred, which is from the uh, same collection as uh, Farewell to Arms, from the, uh, the Selznick collection, and taken also from uh, Pristine Elements. And Nothing Sacred is a somewhat unfairly forgotten film. It's also not a terribly good film. Uh, features great performances from Carol Lombard and Frederick March. Um, but it, I think it made in 1937, but I also think it dates uh, somewhat poorly. Uh, this is very clearly a Selznick period when he's not yet uh, quite gotten to the, uh, the Gone with the Wind stature, the Rebecca stature. You know, he sort of really came of age with those films, and he's a couple of years away from that. It's a good script by Ben Hecht, but not terribly well directed by Wellman, who feels a little bit out of his sorts with it. It's... Uh, it's, you know, Wellman's strength was not comedy, so um, I can't fully recommend it except to film buffs who really, really love the movie. Wait, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Yep. Go I'm going to say that uh, Last Night, which is a uh, Miramax film starring Keira Knightley and Sam Worthington, even Mendez, Griffin Dunn, is not bad. This is... This got a few votes at our, uh, at our voting. This did last yeah, night. Yeah, for a few things, there were they, they, that popped up on a couple of categories. I was oh. surprised. Well, you know what it is. It's it's about a married couple, Sam Worthington and um, Keira Knightley. 
They've been married for seven years, and over the course of one night, their relationship is threatened when each one succumbs or doesn't succumb to sexual temptation. Um, after meeting, you know, like like he, he he's got the hot coworker that he never told her about. Oh yeah, that kind of thing. So over the course of this one night, their marriage is either you know strengthened or destroyed, whatever. And although um, uh, I can't say that it's like you know some great relationship drama. What I liked about it is that it's well acted. Sam Worthington actually trying to be an actor now instead of just doing all that you know action stuff. And um, it's it's ambitious and emotionally honest, and you got to give it that despite its flaws. Last night, and that's it. Gods at digigods.com. Email email us your questions, your audio questions, whatever you want. Gods at digigods.com. We will uh, see you then in the new year. So have a fabulous New Year's Eve. Don't drink and drive. We'll be back next week. <laughs>